0: This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. So, on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. You want to just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: My name is Mike Forshaw. I am a member of the Bad River Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians. That's our colonial name. I'm actually part of the Anishinaabe Nation. I am chairman of the American Indian Movement here in Minneapolis. Um. I was a business owner for over 20 years, and um, I have four children, and I'll soon have five grandchildren. In about uh, two weeks, I'll have a fifth one.
0: Well, congratulations. I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Yeah, it's an honor to be here.
0: So the American Indian Movement, or AIM, was founded right here in Minneapolis in the 60s. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the... History of the American Indian movement and why Minneapolis was a place where you know this organization AIM started.
1: Well, I was only five years old when right. AIM started, and um, it started in Minneapolis because of the police brutality that was going on, and we had uh police chaining people to the light poles. And then a paddy wagon would come along and pick people up. And then we had police just picking up Native people, Native women, running them down to the river. Um, And some of them, you don't know what happened, you know. Right. And uh, so that's why the American Indian Movement started here in Minneapolis. There was a group of people that Dennis Banks had got together because something had to be done and so they decided on on uh forming a group and at first it was um concerned indians of america or something along that line because okay. the uh, it was cia okay you know and then somebody said oh no we can't have that so then i believe it was arlene downwind she came up because your aim is this and your aim this is what our aim is we're we're aiming for these things right and she said the american indian movement and so she is the one who actually named this uh the movement
0: and so this history of police brutality in minneapolis which we've you know seen documented again and again like this is part of the the basis for that uh that growth of that movement right here then
1: yes yes absolutely and but it doesn't seem like we have come very far from those mm. days. You know, back then, they were more egregious. And, um, you know, that was just the the way things were done. And everybody accepted it. The city, city council, everybody. Right. That's how you treated Indians. Um, but really, there's no difference in what's going on today with Jacob Fry and how he's treating the uh our homeless relatives on the streets and his continuation of the uh, Indian Removal Act Mm -hmm. and how he employs the uh, Minneapolis police department to do his dirty work for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell.
0: And, you know, and that kind of brings me to the, to the land back campaign or demand uh, or movement. Um, that's something that's really increased, I think, really increased in visibility uh, over the past number of years. Obviously, this has been ongoing for a lot longer than uh, the the past number of years. Uh, but now you see it more and more across the whole globe, New Zealand, Australia, other places where indigenous people are uh, bringing this uh, piece forward, this decolonization piece. Um, but, you know, a little bit, I see. I see. There's some uh, controversy uh, with this demand, even within the movements. Uh, not necessarily from uh, indigenous people, but obviously from these other organizers that exist within these movements. Um, that they don't necessarily uh, agree with centering the decolonization struggle as the uh, uh, as the center of that. Do you think there's a fundamental misunderstanding there, or do you think that you know this is part of a History of white supremacy, or have you personally heard any of these, like, you know, kind of like concerns about this uh, land back uh, piece? What, what's your experience with talking to people about it?
1: Um, well, I haven't had too much experience with other organizations and the, um, you know, the controversy that you're talking about, but I do see um, different purposes because we've seen um, land given back in different areas we've seen right. that and some of them have been given to tribal councils and you know um reservations and stuff like that um
0: so it's something that actually has a basis that you can actually win the you know these things move forward and and, and make progress
1: right right saying. so there is there is precedent setting out there already um and what i've been working on and I brought it up a couple of years ago to people who are running for mayor in Minneapolis. Hmm. And they were at Cedar Field. And I asked them, do they know that they and Minneapolis are currently situated on stolen Indian land? Hmm. And I said, I just need, just raise your hand. You know, and I said, because I know you're all busy. And so every one of them raised their hand. I said, okay, now my question to you is, would you consider helping us get some of that land back? Would you right. work towards getting some of the land back? And I said, in particular, Theoworth Park, Powderhorn Park, or Minnehaha Park. And every one of them had three minutes and they all said yes in one mm. form or another, that they would. Right. Then I got a call from Peter Ebnet from the mayor's office. And he said, those people who I spoke to that day, because see, they were supposed to show up. The mayor was supposed to show up at that event, and he never did. Mm. He claims that he was uninvited. And mm. uh, the organizers of the event specifically told me, no, he's on his way. We're expecting him. Peter Ebnet called me, and he said, those people you spoke to were not being completely honest with you. Because there's no way a mayor can give back a city park. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, we already know that because the land was so easily taken, but yet you set up all these obstacles and that's part of the systemic racist system we're living in. Right. Your your ancestors set up all these obstacles to get it back. I said, so we'll put that on the table right now that we already know that there's no process or law for giving land back.
0: Mm.
1: And... Say we went after Theoworth Park or Powderhorn Park. If the Dakota people got that land to do what they wanted to with it, and I'm not saying put a casino on there. I'm saying put uh, apartment buildings. I'm saying put green jobs. I'm saying put uh, a theater. Um, Put a cinema. Put a a pool. Put um, a school. So many things can be put on them a couple hundred acres right. that would eliminate our homeless problem immediately and probably our unemployment situation. Um, but really what I was talking about was East Phillips Park. It's a tiny six acre park right next to the wall of forgotten natives in the heart of Indian country near the little earth housing projects. Right. That's the property I was specifically talking about because we had that property at one time. It was called the uh, Elaine M. Stately Peacemaker Center. And I was the president of the board. Clyde Belcourt was the executive director. And at that time, we had the kids from the neighborhood and from Little Earth coming in and going to Sundance, going to the Maday Lodge, going to Powwow's going horseback riding, going to the wave pool, going and doing things that poor little Indian kids normally don't have a chance to do. Well, then, for one reason or another, we lost our funding. The building Mm. became dilapidated. We lost the building. Then they built up the new building, which I thought we were going to be part of. Right. And we're not. So now today, I have those same kids coming into the shelter mm-hmm. as young adults and they're saying, Mike, do you have a clean needle? Mike, do you have a, a bed for me? Because I don't have no place to stay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of these, some of these, and I still call them kids. They're in their thirties. Some of these kids have stayed at my house right here in this house with my own boys when they went to school together as young kids So I've known these guys, you know, for a long time. Right. And to see what's happening to them um, on such a massive scale. And I just was at a funeral. There's another funeral coming up. And my community is in a state of constant or perpetual mourning. We can't get over one death and there's another death and another. And um, if we created the Red Road Village... We would have sweat lodges there for them. We would have teepee. We would have a longhouse, and and there was a study done. And so that, this is
0: talking. This is talking about the East Phillips Park uh, piece and the East, kind of the plans there.
1: That, yes, that the East Phillips Park, and it would go right into the Wall of Forgotten Natives, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I spoke to the Department of Transportation, uh, Levi Brown, mm-hmm. and I told him I said that wall. That wall is a sacred site for my people now because we lost so many on that wall. I asked him, how long are you going to keep all those light poles and concrete barriers in there? Mm-hmm. Because we want to create a memorial garden on that spot. And we want to plant sage and tobacco and sweetgrass and red willow and all of our sacred medicines that we need. And he called me back last april and he said you know we're always doing land back acknowledgements or or land acknowledgements right he said we decided that we're just going to give you that land back Mm. we are going to sign it over and whatever money we have put aside to clean that spot up we'll give that to you so you because we want to have artists come in and decorate that wall those panels Right, And even artists who are on that wall, who lived on that wall, I want to see them be able to create something on that wall. And our whole community can come together and plant. And we could have, um, like I said, all of our sacred medicines. We could have pear trees and plum trees and stuff like that where people can eat and we can have a memorial there. And it walks from East Phillips Park or the Red Road Village Wall of Forgotten Natives right into the American Indian Cultural Corridor. And if you went down there today on Cedar and Franken, you'd see about 30, 40 tents, and you'd see the sex trade, you'd see the drug the the uh, drug dealers in there. So the people were praying on, because we don't have a secure location, those people are actually preying on them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> That encampment is scheduled to close on Wednesday, and I talked to the officer, Troy Carlson, who's in charge uh, of closing the encampment, and he wanted to know if we could get down there before then to get everybody out so that we don't have the confrontations mm-hmm. that we usually have. But where are we to go? Right. Where are we to go? Do we just go and take over and occupy East Phillips Park? Right. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But the American Indian movement occupied Wounded Knee. They occupied mm-hmm. the BIA. They occupied Alcatraz. And that building at East Phillips Park, that actually held the funeral of Clyde Belcourt. And the mayor, the governor, and the uh senators they all bragged about all the accomplishments of the american indian movement Well, that must include all the takeovers all the occupations, right well if we're being pushed the way we are and we're being ignored by the city because now i have a restraining order against me by a city council member to prevent me from attending city council meetings to prevent me from speaking my mind and um so we have a long way to go because And we have three park board members who are saying give the land back. Right. We have at least four or five uh, city council members who are on board to give East Phillips Park to create the Red Road Village. We have the Midtown Neighborhood Association. They're sending us a letter of support to give East Phillips Park to create that. And that land could be given back to the Dakota, the Lakota, the Anishinabe, the Ho Chunk, all those, all of the First Nations tribes who are suffering under the fallout of genocide, which is coming out in mental disorders, mental health issues, and addiction. Treatment isn't gonna help our people. We need to heal them. We need to transform them, transform them with our our history, with our songs, our ceremonies, our lodges—things that they have no idea what they're missing and what mm-hmm. they are supposed to be. That's why we need that land,
0: right? And they always put up these roadblocks, or they always say that it's impossible. I mean, it's all—it's every movement uh, for anything. Almost they say, "Oh, it's impossible. We can't do that. Nobody has the authority." But if you, you know, you keep pushing and you keep uh, building these movements and momentum and building coalitions. Then that's when you get to that point where they finally say, "Okay, we're going to do this, or we're going to give you this, or we're going to make this change." You know, that that's the, been the whole history of um, uh, of all this stuff. I want to get to the tr- uh, about, talk about the trial date coming up. Too. Um, do you just want to talk um, a little bit more quick about the defend the depot uh, movement and just where that's at right now? I know there's been some back and forth uh there's been some push to get some money uh, at the state level do you want to give like an update of, of where things are at with that and how people can get involved with that movement
1: yeah well you know tomorrow i think the court actually hears the argument on the east phillips um and how how the process got to where it is now okay but that is going to be moot once the legislature comes up with this 20 million dollars, which I'm almost certain is gonna happen. Okay. So the city will get their twenty million dollars, even though they only put sixteen million into it, they're gonna get four million more. Right. For what reason? We don't know yet, but we're hoping to get a an itemized um list of everything, what that that money includes, right. and accounting. <laughs> and um so, yeah, right now it's, we're in a holding pattern. Everybody's just holding on to see what happens. But the city and the mayor um, capitulated, I would guess you would say, and mm. said that if you come up with the money, we'll sell it to you. So now I'm wondering if the property next door, that six acres that they wanted to combine to create this big project, if they'd be willing to let that go, too, to give us the whole spot. Right. You know? Yeah, That's, because we could use that spot. We could use it for some schools that need help, you know, because our schools are suffering too.
0: Well, I really appreciate everything that you're doing. I mean, everything that I go to, I mean, I see you're you're there, uh, and probably at many things that I don't even make it out to. So I really appreciate all the work that you're doing, Mike. Um, to make this stuff happen. It all it takes so much work to, you know, to do this stuff. Uh they never make any of this stuff easy, as you are probably well aware. And so at this point, one of the other, you know roadblocks if you will one of the other things that they've thrown up is this um restraining order and this this trial coming up as far as you're able i don't know if there's things you don't want to say uh because of the upcoming trial but do you want to just tell what this trial is about you mentioned it a little bit about the um uh not being able to go into the uh uh city council meetings and stuff Who, who what's going on with the restraining order and you've got a trial coming up too right
1: yep it's on may 22nd and it was initially set for zoom hearing because Michael Rainville uh, didn't want, he said that if it was in person, that I would turn it into a protest mm. and that um, people would take pictures of him and use them on social media. And he didn't want that to happen. Right. And so and this is my- Rainville.
0: he's the city councilor. You know, he's a public council member, his his pictures all over the place. Probably. I mean, you know, a person could find a picture of him on the internet in probably like two minutes if they really wanted a picture of him. So that's kind of a silly.
1: Well, it's ironic because after the 20th, February 23rd meeting and they had video of us in there and I was cussing him out. I admit that I used the F bomb several times. Um, But he's claiming that I said I would go to his house Mm. and physically hurt him, his wife, and his children, Mm. which never happened. And I did say, wherever you're at, I said, if you're at home, you're at the grocery store, you're at the laundromat. If I see you at the gas station, I'm going to say something. Right. I'm going to say something. That's all that was said. That's speech. That's That's freedom of speech. That's right. right. So then a day or two after that happened he used that video of us in the um, city council chambers and he said, I won't be bullied by people on the extreme left or people on the extreme right. And there's our picture. He used our likeness in his ad mm. to run, but yet he don't want us to use his picture right. to to post on. So then <laughs> once the judge Agreed with us and said, no, it should be in public. It should be in person. Mm -hmm. So I took that and I put it on Facebook and I said, the judge ordered it to be in public because he's afraid of this, this and this, that we're going to take his picture. And I said, so let's make his fears come true. Mm. Then he took that and gave it to the judge that, see, see, he just said to his followers that he wants to do that. Right. You know, so now I'm waiting to see if the judge is going to say yes, it's going to be in public or no. Because of that, it's going to be in Zoom. Okay. Well, I have a right to meet my to face my accuser. Right. There's no reason for Zoom anymore. We don't have COVID restrictions anymore. Mm. See. So, so that's oh, and that's, where that and that's not the reason.
0: That's not the reason he wants to do it anyway, right? That's not. It doesn't have anything to do with COVID. So anyway, either way, it's you know, I I I had to testify in court in a trial during COVID, they made me come into the court and take off my mask and everything right at the height of COVID. And I was a nurse working with COVID patients. So yeah, that's not, (laughs) that was never uh... water. (laughs) So yeah.
1: So 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 you're asking
0: folks to show, you know, regardless of whether it's online or in person on that 22nd, you want supporters to be there to show support.
1: Yeah. I would like to have people show up and, and support. And, um, because really this has to do with free speech as far as I'm concerned. Because I even said, that's all we have left. Mm -hmm. That's all we have left. If you're going to vote the way you did, and see, the thing is, is I called him a liar. Mm -hmm. Actually, I called him a motherfucking liar. Mm -hmm. And that's what they don't want, because they said political decorum, etiquette. And I'm thinking, how much etiquette and political decorum was used while your ancestors were running my people off this land, raping them, killing them, doing all kinds of horrific atrocities to them. Were they nice and polite? Mm -hmm. But no, they created this system of political decorum and etiquette. That was created by your ancestors, not by us. I don't subscribe to it. Right. I will not subscribe to it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I see you, I'm going to say something, and it might get, you know um loud and i might you know i might say something that people don't like but that's just the way it is and you'll have to get used to it if you're going to be elected official you know and you they've even be...
0: used, they've even used that decorum argument you know across the country we've seen to kick out politicians that they don't agree with and to silence people that are actually elected to office as well so again you know it's this it's just you know it's just another tool that they use like you said to throw up a roadblock to put things in our way so that we you know have uh, l- limits on what we're able to do, you know, and they've already put up so many roadblocks along the way that this is just another one of their, you know, silly things that they that they do to try to undermine the movements and to undermine the, uh, the work that you're doing. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And because of when it happened, there were certain critical meetings that I couldn't attend, you right. know, with this police thing and all these things coming out. There was things that I couldn't attend. And so I right. know Jacob Fry is in on this too. They're all meeting him, Vita, um, oh, what's the other one? Paul Zamo. Um they, they are the, yep, they are the conservative wing of this uh of the city council. You know, they may act and try to pretend to be progressive or liberal right. or whatever, but it ain't working. Right. It ain't working, and I ain't buying it, and they shouldn't be selling it.
0: Well, again, I really appreciate all the work you're doing. I really appreciate you speaking with me. You know, Before you go, is there anything else you want to share about the movement work here in the Twin Cities or about the uh, historical situation or anything else that's uh, coming up that folks should know about?
1: Well, you know, there is one thing I wanted to back up on about. Yeah, absolutely. uh, With um, the American Indian Movement and the police. Mm -hmm. Before Brian O'Hara was hired to be the new police chief, uh myself and other community members walked him through Little Earth and we told him of our collective and our personal history with the Minneapolis police. And so I told him that I knew what it felt like to have a knee of a Minneapolis cop on my neck, and that I had was awarded a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars settlement for that. And um so later on one of his assistants called me and said that if he is hired to be the police chief, would I be willing to be the first one to speak when he's sworn in? So on November 7th, um, when they said, everybody take your seats we're get ready to get started, I was the first one on stage. And I... I told them about how the American Indian Movement got started. I told them how it felt to have a knee of a Minneapolis cop on my neck. I told them that we were at Little Earth and I was hoping that we were planting the seeds because we were in the garden when we were speaking and that we were planting the seeds of trust and uh, transparency and hope and um, community. And that this is the start of something that we've been waiting for for 55 years. And once we took over the Roof Depot, and I told the mayor right to his face that that's what was going to happen. This didn't come somewhere around the corner for him. I spoke to him face to face and told him we were going to march to the Roof Depot and we were going to occupy it. Well, that night when the police showed up and kicked everybody out, the next day is when I called Chief O'Hara's office and I said, I'm putting a stop to the uh, community town hall that I was putting together for my community and the Minneapolis police. I said, I can't be part of that. I said, after last night, how many times I heard F-12? And I said, there's just no way that I can continue on putting together this uh And I had Mary Kunish with the last one, Senator Mary Kunish. She was the one I was waiting for, and we're going to set it up for the second week of April. And I said, nope, I canceled it. I don't want to have no part of it. So, yeah, he's been meeting with the Somali community, the Hispanic community, the Black community. But again, where's us? Mm -hmm. What happened to us? And while I'm doing this and putting it together, and every time I call for something, Oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot, or I'm sorry this. And I said, you know what? Right. I'm going to take those apologies and I'm going to accept them sincerely. But what I'm going to do with them, I'm just going to throw them behind me on this big stack of apologies that we've gotten throughout the years. I said, that's all we can do with those apologies is stack them up. And you know, when the time comes, if the time comes for this historic event to happen and they're going to sign this land over to us. When the time and the moment comes for whoever the elected official, the government official, has to put his name on the document, that's when I'll stop him. And I'll say, oh no, 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 no. All we need is an X. Mm. You don't sign your name. No big old John Hancock for you, just an X because my ancestors They had to sign over this whole country with just an X. And it was usually at the tip of a sword, Mm. the barrel of a gun or a bottle of booze. So please, all we need is an X. That's what I'd like to see.
0: Well, I really appreciate you talking with me. And uh, I encourage everyone to get out to uh, show support at the uh, May 22nd uh, trial. And uh, you'll keep putting out information about if there's an update on whether it's going to be in person
1: or not. Absolutely. I will. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been a Socialist News and Views
0: special interview.